the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. <clears throat> there is a magazine, I don't know if anyone's ever read it, it's called Reminence, Reminiscence. Uh, years ago, there was an article in there by a woman who told of her father having returned from the war, World War II, and like a lot of other men, he wanted to buy tools for his workshop. And one of the tools he really wanted was a drill press. Now, nowadays, it, it's easy to go, go to Walmart, Home Depot, someplace like that, and get a, a drill press anywhere from 100 bucks to you know, thousands. But it was, it's easy to get a drill press. But back then, tools like that were scarce and very expensive. He could not afford to buy one. So he built his own, and he used some unusual parts to build it. He used an old washing machine motor, a Model A Ford transmission, a car jack, a motorcycle kickstarter, and a burned-out drill chuck. Now, his daughter said that he used that tool, that drill press that he made, for more than 50 years, and it still worked. Now, I don't know how that soldier put all that together, but I was intrigued by the fact that this man knew what he wanted, and he knew how to build it. He wanted a drill press, but he didn't build it out of parts that you and I probably would have expected him to use. He used the materials he had on hand. He used common, unimpressive, used equipment. I bet that thing was not pretty, but it worked. In fact, it worked so well, it's still working. Thousands of years ago, God knew what he wanted. Actually, before the creation of the world, he knew that he wanted to build a church. And God, being God, could have built that church out of any materials he wanted. Now, a good ad agency might have told God to make sure he did it right. You know what I mean? Ad agencies today, they love to come in and say, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to get a demographic study first to find your target audience, that specific age group. Um, you need to manage the message so that it would appeal to that target audience. And they would have told God to make sure that this new church had the best music program and song leaders, the best youth program, the best ministers for young adults and for the older folks. And then there would be billboards to buy, flyers to pass out, advertising to purchase. Build a an impressive gymnasium so that they could have a, an athletic outreach to the community. Of course, there would need to be a building, a state-of-the-art worship center, school, Sunday school space, all that. I'm sure for the most part, not all of it, but for the most part, I'm sure some of that stuff is okay. There are many 
good churches who do some of that, and they're very successful for the kingdom of Christ. But we all know God did not do it that way. He didn't follow the advice of some powerful ad agency or church consultant group. In fact, he built his church out of common, ordinary, unoppressive materials. It should not have worked, but it did. And it still works. What was it about what took place on Pentecost that gave the church such powerful growth, growth and success? Well, number one, God was in it. Acts chapter 2, the very last part of verse 47 says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think a lot of good congregations overlook this. We create our programs, we stage our events, uh, schedule meetings, vacation Bible schools, all that stuff. We should seize every opportunity we can to bring people to Christ. When Peter saw the crowd that gathered at Pentecost, he seized that opportunity, right? And he began to preach to them Jesus. And just like Peter, we should also seize those opportunities to reach people to, for Christ. But after having seized all those opportunities, we tend to ask ourselves, what more can we do to reach the lost? That's a legitimate question. But it overlooks the more basic question, where is God in all this? When I look at Acts 2.47, it says the Lord was adding to their number day by day. My mind goes back to a story in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, we're told, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Talking about the building of the ark. He did his part. He built it. Prepared all the things he was supposed to prepare. Uh, did it for uh, uh, the animals, his family, and as he worked, he preached to anybody who'd listen but we're told in Genesis chapter 7, 8, and 9 of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground, there went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. The animals came to Noah. He didn't go out there and get them, did he? But that's, that's what it says, the, Noah's came, the animals came to him. But if Noah didn't go out and get the animals, how did they end up coming to him? God brought them to him, right? The Lord added to the ark, such as should be saved. When the animals came to Noah, he seized that opportunity and put them on the ark. Now, here's my point. Noah did his part. He prepared for the ones God would bring. God did his part. He brought the ones who were ready to be saved. And then Noah seized the opportunity to lead them into the ark, into salvation. In the same way, that's how the church will grow best. Now, there's good things, ways we could do it, and there's... Uh, okay ways we can do it, but I think the best way is when we, we do it the way God shows us in his word. We need to do our part. We need to prepare for those God will bring. But then 
we need to depend on God to do his part, bringing others to us. Now that being said, the question is, what should we do to do our part? That brings us back to Acts chapter 2, there in verse 42. We find there that the first thing they did was focus on the apostles' teaching. The verse says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not my teaching. Not the teaching of some famous author or preacher or creed or commentary, some predominant denomination or church council or early church father or anything like that. Now, a good teacher or preacher might use some of those resources as they prepare their lessons, but those resources should never be their major focus. The principal foundation for the teachings of any good teacher or preacher must be the apostolic teachings. Now, where am I going to get that? The Bible. That's where it's at. And specifically, the New Testament. Why would focusing on those things be so important? Well, if I focus on any other authority for the foundation of what I say from the pulpit or on this radio program, I run the risk of leading astray the people of God that he may bring to me. For example, most of us have probably heard about the conflict between Galileo and the church of his day. The church doctrine of that day taught that the sun revolved around the earth. But Galileo discovered that that was not true. It was the earth that revolved around the sun. The church of his day didn't take kindly to that discovery by Galileo, and so they branded him a heretic, and they made him renounce his uh, findings under the threat of severe punishment. Now, of course, Galileo was right. But ever since that day, skeptics have used that incident to accuse the church of having gotten their doctrine from their understanding of the Bible. Not true. By the time Galileo, of Galileo, the church had grown used to the idea of accepting the teachings of human experts and authorities of the past. Particularly uh, impressive to them were the Greek philosophers, and the most prominent Greek philosopher that they really liked to use was Aristotle, who taught that it was the earth that stood still and that the sun revolved around it. Now, this wasn't the only time Galileo clashed with Aristotle's teachings. He was wrong about many things. But as opposed as he was to Aristotle, Galileo was convinced of the inerrancy of the Scripture. At one point, he wrote, quote, The Holy Scriptures cannot err, and the decrees therein contained are absolutely true. Here's the point. The church of that day misled many people, and they gave ammunition to the enemies of God. Why? Because they abandoned the Bible as their sole source of authority, and they sought out human experts to guide their doctrine. We must never allow that to happen to us. So the first thing that we can do to do our part in the church in preparing for those that God would bring to us 
is to cling to the apostles' teachings for our authority and guidance. Number two thing that we can do is devote ourselves to fellowship. Acts 2.42, the church, uh, uh, the early church there, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. It doesn't matter how good a church's programs and events might be if the people don't get along with one another. If we don't create an atmosphere where people enjoy themselves and feel welcome, newcomers won't stay. The advantage, though, that we have here at North Valley is that the folks here take that extremely serious. From the moment people step through our doors on Sunday morning, evening, or Wednesday, whether they're visitors or members, they are made to feel welcome. And they're not overwhelmed with it. It's just a family atmosphere. They come up, how you do it? Where are you from? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. We tell them about what we, who we are and what we do. And we're excited to have them here. Sometimes, when it's time to get started, we always start with announcements before we actually get into the worship service, probably like most folks. I have to get up there when I do it, for example. I'll get there and say, okay, folks, it's time to get started. Please take your seats. And people are still chit-chatting and saying hi. They're so into their conversations or meeting with somebody, they don't hear me, even though I'm on the microphone. So I have to get closer. I say, folks, time to get seated. And every so often, i got to name somebody by name. Paul, I know you want to visit with someone, but please sit down. Come on, folks. Got to get started. I mean, I hate breaking up the fellowship, but we got to get started. People like to fellowship here at North Valley. God expects his people to fellowship in the church. But the early church, in the New Testament days, didn't just have get-togethers. They didn't just get together every once in a while. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. All things. And verse 46 tells us, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. The church, the worship service, wasn't just something they did, especially on Sunday morning. Being with other Christians wasn't just something they did once in a while. They were almost always together. Other Christians were the center of their lives in their spare time. They prefer to be with their Christian friends. But even more than that, they were there for one another. Acts 2.45 says, They went so far as to sell their possessions and goods so that they could give to anyone who would have need. Amazing. And so the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to fellowship. But it also says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread there in verse 42. They felt that communion was important. Paul also did this. In Acts 20, verse 7, tells us, On the first day of the week, this is a Luke writing, so Luke was there, when we were gathered together to break 
bread. That's when they got together to take the communion. The first day of the week. They knew that the church would meet on the first day. They knew the church would meet on the first day to break bread on Sunday. That's the first day of the week. It's not Monday, folks. I know that's the way we are today, but it's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. They gather together to have the Lord's Supper. Now, there are churches these days where that's not true. There are churches where the Lord's Supper has been shouldered to the side. They either don't want newcomers to take part in the special activity, or they feel that doing it in the worship service interrupts the flow of the worship. And so they regulate it to Sunday night, or Wednesday night, or Saturday mornings even. That's sad. Many modern churches don't feel it is that critical. They have more important things to do. But the early church felt communion was so important that they met each Sunday to partake. Why would the Lord's Supper be so critical to doing their part, to prepare for the ones God would bring to them for salvation? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a reminder for us. Every Sunday, as someone comes through the doors, they're confronted by the most important fact of our faith. Jesus died for us. There might be mistakes in our bulletin, but far fewer now that Gail is helping me out. But Jesus died for us. Maybe the song service may not have moved us or been as good as we wanted it to be, but Jesus died for us. Maybe the sermon was too long or wasn't that great, but Jesus died for us. And we proclaim that every time we take communion. There was a fella by the name of Tinsky. He was raised a Jew, became dissatisfied spiritually, So he visited a church for the first time, a Christian church. Uh, I don't know if it was a church of Christ or not, but he was seeking religious truth. He was astounded by the observance of the Lord's Supper. He didn't understand it. So he leaned over to a young couple that was seated near him, and he asked, what does this mean? And so they told him the gospel story as portrayed in the bread and the cup. He was taken aback. That there was a God who loved mankind enough to give his son to die for us. He hadn't really heard that story before. And so he was taken, uh, awed by that wisdom of having, having such a living memorial. And over months, he kept having Bible studies with that same young couple. And guess what? He was eventually baptized into Christ. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread. But it's the last item in the list there at verse 42 that caught my attention a couple, about a year or so ago. It caught my attention because I, I feel like maybe I haven't done this enough. They devoted themselves to all those things, and they also devoted themselves to prayer to prayer. I'm not saying that I don't pray. I'm not saying that I don't pray a lot. It's just I'm pretty sure I don't pray enough like they prayed. 
too often. We simply focus on praying for the physically sick and the physically hurting. We often do that during our prayer time at the worship service. That's a good thing. It's good prayer. We ought to do that. But it's not the best prayer, I think. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.19, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He wanted them to pray so that he might be given the words to seize every opportunity to bring people to Christ. Again, he wrote to the church at Colossae, praying at the same time, this is Colossians 4.3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Amazing. He wanted the church to pray for him that God would open a door so that he could seize every opportunity to talk to others about the Christ. There was a church in Scotland. I don't know if this is a true story or not. There was a church in Scotland, and they were struggling to keep their doors open. A couple of its members were two older ladies who were invalids. They could not get out to the worship service any longer. But they refused, these ladies refused, to allow their infirmities to get in the way of serving God. So they became convinced that their community needed Jesus desperately, and they were going to do something about it. They were going to pray. They determined to make their house a house of prayer. And around the clock, they prayed for God to do something powerful. They didn't know what, but that God would do something to help them out. And one day, one of the ladies heard about uh, this revivalist, what they called him, named Campbell. And that he was going around uh, giving meetings at different churches, uh, revival meetings. And so she talked to the preacher. He'd come by and visit with them every now and again. He talked with him. And he contacted this Campbell fella to come and preach at their congregation. But Campbell was unavailable. He was all booked up. Oh, well, I guess the, the prayer didn't work. Well, the ladies didn't give up. They kept praying. They kept praying and praying. And it wasn't long before, oddly enough, some of Campbell's other revivals became canceled. And so he decided to accept the invitation of that small church. He arrived and gave five weeks of meetings. Five weeks. The revival was so well received that hundreds showed up every night. Lives were changed so much that the local taverns, pubs, had to close up because they lacked the the patrons to come in and buy stuff. You might think that it was because of the powerful preaching of a renowned revivalist. But in reality, it was because of the faithfulness of two older ladies who dedicated themselves to to prayer. Are we praying? 
Are we praying like they did in the first century church? Praying for doors of opportunities. We ought to be doing that every day, constantly. And if we do, if we are fervent in that, that means you need to be ready to recognize the opportunities. Sometimes they'll become obvious. I've had folks walk into the building here at North Valley and after the service say, come up to me and say, I would like a Bible study. I've even had some come up and say, you know what, I came here so I could be baptized. We do a study, make sure they know what they're doing, but then we baptize them because they know. Those are great. That's easy. Opportunities the Lord sent. But it's not always that, that obvious. Sometimes the opportunities that God sent to us, the, the people are a little shy, so they may hint at it every now and again if they know you're a Christian, if they see the fruit of Christ in you. But you need to be ready to see those opportunities and be ready knowing the apostolic teachings enough, the Word of God enough, to be able to, pre- be able to present to them the mystery of Christ. But pray, folks, that's the best way. Pray for the opportunities. And when the opportunities arrive, seize them like Noah did with those animals. Oh, there they are. And they let them in the ark. And he brings them to salvation. Let God work with us. Let us work with God. And together, grow the church like it grew in the first century in the book of Acts. Yeah, they had the miraculous. Yeah, they had the apostles. But if you pray... And if you're a righteous man or a righteous woman and you pray fervently, God will bless you. Just be ready for the blessings. And if you take good advantage of what he sends you, he'll send you more. And if you take good advantage of those things, he'll send you more. He will keep blessing you as long as you keep blessing his church. Let us be people of prayer. Let us pray to the Father that he may bring us opportunities and grow the church so that we can bring a lost and dying world to him. Thank you for being here with me. I want to encourage you to go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. And when you go there, if you click on the radio mic there on that front page, it'll take you to the radio program site where we have not only this audio, but all the past audios that we have. And I would love I would love to hear back from you. Comment on those. Let us know what you think uh, about these these programs so we can keep on keeping on. If you have any questions as well, put those in there, and I will talk about that here on the program. Thank you very much, and may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord send you opportunities. Let us make the most of our time, for the days are evil. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.